Well, hey, welcome to worship here at Chapel Hill. We are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are joining us live at 10 a.m. Pacific on YouTube, you can interact with those who are joining you on the live chat function there. We'd love you to share words of encouragement, words of scripture, prayer requests, and, and begin a conversation with others who are engaged in this service. Also on YouTube, you'll see in the description a few things that I'd love you to pay attention to. One of those is a weekly check-in. We'd love you to click on that and fill that out. Let us know how you're doing. A second is a link to give. If you want to give online, you can do that right then and there. We'll also accept checks in the mail, or we're going to have a drop box outside the church where you can drop them off. And we are going to engage in a service of worship here together. And I know it's, it's tempting maybe if you're at home and maybe you're still there in your pajamas to kind of just be a little bit chilled out, casual, relaxed, I want to invite you to prepare your hearts for this, this journey that we're going to go on together, this experience that we're going to go on together. And, and one way we can prepare ourselves for that is to, is to change our body posture. And so I'm going to ask you, if you are able to, wherever you are, would you stand up right now? Because we are about to worship our God, and He is worthy of us standing and giving Him the honor that is given when we stand in front of someone. And as we begin in worship, I was reflecting upon one of Jesus's closest friends whose name was John. And John understood something about Jesus that, that I think makes him so marvelous and so wonderful and so worthy of our worship. John understood that, that within Jesus, there was both a, a sense of great power and a sense of tenderness. You see, John laid his head on Jesus's chest at that very last meal that they had together. He knew what it was for Jesus to be tender and loving. And then years later, at the, near the very end of John's life, he had this vision of Jesus in, in all his glory and in all his majesty. And as he saw that vision, John fell down as if he was dead. The power and the majesty of our God. And at a time like this, I don't know what it is that, that, that you're feeling right now, what you're going through, but, but I know that Jesus is a God worth worshiping at this time. Because whether you need to know God's tenderness because you're hurting, or whether you need to know God's power because you need him to come through in an amazing way, our Jesus is both of those things. He is the lion that is roaring in victory, in battle. He is the, the lamb that was, was slain, that was, was laid down for us. And we are going to stand and we are going to sing and give him the praise that he is due. We are going to worship him and give him glory because no one can stop our God. Amen.
sins of the world. His blood breaks the chains, and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him. Hey! Let's open up our lives to him today.
the leper's spots and now the heart of song. Here's why Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white. enter into a time of prayer, let me encourage you to not just listen to me pray, but to actually interact with me and to pray with me. The first way that you can interact is I'm going to be using Psalm 23 to guide our prayer. And if you're not familiar with that psalm, you can pull out your Bible and read that along with me as we pray it together. The second way we can interact is as I bring up needs 
in our community, I'm going to make space for you to pray in your homes with me. So take that, take that opportunity and pray along with me as we pray together as a community, even as we're in our own homes. Join me now. Jesus, you are the good shepherd. Because you are the good shepherd, we lack nothing. Jesus, you are the one who restores our souls. You are the one who guides us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And Jesus, even though we are in a valley of the shadow of darkness, we fear no evil because you are with us. And your guiding presence is a comfort to us. Jesus, you are like a host who prepares a feast for us in the presence of our enemies. And even when there is evil in our midst, you are blessing us with oil. You are feeding us. Jesus, because of you, goodness and mercy will follow us all of our days, even into eternity. Jesus, we thank you for the reminder of your character from this psalm. And Lord, we use the promises of you and your goodness as the foundation as we pray for the needs of our community, for our own needs. And Jesus, as we pray, we first start with our government officials. And we ask, Lord, that you would give our state officials, our federal officials, wisdom as they take care of our country, as they take care of our communities. Lord, give them wisdom about what to do and help them to make good and right decisions. And now we pray more specifically. Jesus, we lift up to you medical professionals, doctors, nurses, the people who are on the front lines right now, and we ask that you would give them strength, that you would give them restoration, that you would relieve any sense of stress that they may be feeling, any anxiety, and that you would give them rest. We pray for people by name. Jesus, we pray for families right now who may be uh, together and may be experiencing strife and stress as they uh, live into a new normal. We ask that you would give parents energy and love for their kids as they homeschool them, as they teach them. We ask that you would give husbands and wives newfound love and respect for one another as they may be spending more time than ever together. And Lord, we now lift up those families by name to you. Lord, we pray for those who are sick right now, whether they be sick because of COVID or whether they're sick for other reasons, we ask for your healing presence to visit them right now. We name them. And finally, Jesus, we give to you those we know who may be alone, who may be feeling isolated, separated from the society, from their friends, from their family, Lord, we ask that you would be a presence of comfort to them, of restoration, that you would be a presence of goodness and mercy. 
Jesus, you are the good shepherd, yes, and you are the lamb who is worthy. You are the good shepherd, and you are also the one who bled and died for us. Lord, because of your goodness and because of your mercy, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our worship, of our adoration. So, Lord, now we turn and we worship you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand once again, and we are going to sing to that Lamb who is worthy of all the praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty.
are so worthy, so, so worthy of all that we have, all of the praise and all of the adoration. Your word says that we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And so, Lord, today we choose to believe that you will overcome by the blood of the Lamb that was slain and through the testimony of our lives, declaring in our everyday that you are worthy of praise. In spite of what our eyes see in front of us, we see you in eternal glory and we choose to worship and praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is so good to close this week in worship and in remembering who God is and who we are. Um, Thank you for joining us this morning. Let me add my welcome. I'm Megan. I'm one of the pastors here. And we started this week, feels like an eternity ago, on Monday, meeting as a leadership team with this statement. We said, when this is all over, I hope that... And then we filled in the blank, both with personal hopes and with corporate hopes. I know a lot of you have been asking a similar question, um, seeing it all over social media. And where we landed was in both wanting to respond reactively to what is happening in the world with COVID-19, and we wanted to think proactively, what might God have for us in this really unexpected season? And so let me just invite you as a community into that train of thought with us. Reactively, the way we're responding as a community is all encompassed in what we call the weekly check-in. You are gonna find a link to the weekly check-in right in the description of this YouTube video. What you'll find there is all the ways that we wanna pray with you and for you, the ways we wanna be able to respond to your needs, the ways if you have margin in your life and you are not at risk, we would love to put you to work serving the people in our community who need us right now. So please go on and fill in that online weekly check-in and let us help get you connected to serving and to meeting your needs and to praying for you as a community. So we thought about how were we were going to respond. We also thought, how are we going to live into a very unexpected and unplanned season? And some of that has already unfolded this week. We have, um, as pastors, been creating a morning, midday, and evening way of meeting with the Lord in a season where we have maybe a little more margin than we're used to. So check out Facebook Live, and you can get connected to those, um, those habits, those rhythms of the day. We've also decided that weekly, we still want to worship, and we still want to connect with one another. So I'm glad you are worshiping with us this morning from your living room. And right after this, we want to recreate that that feeling of being together in fellowship. And so we are going to have virtual life groups that begin right after this service is over. If you're not in a life group, good news. We have 15 new virtual groups for you to join. Again, that link at the bottom of the YouTube video in the description is going to be your key to finding a virtual life group. Larry and I are really excited to be starting a virtual life group today for people in the South Kitsap community. So you'll find 
find them by neighborhood. And we hope that you connect virtually and maybe even see one another a little more often when you're out walking the dog um, and are able to care for one another more in this season. And then finally, we want to continue to give you an opportunity to give and to support what God is doing here. It is thanks to your faithful tithe and your generous offerings that we are able to offer a virtual worship service and to continue the work together that God is calling us to, to exalt Jesus, to elevate others, and to launch disciple makers. And we are still about the work of God's kingdom, even when we're not meeting in a physical building. And so please support the ongoing ministry of God here at Chapel Hill. You can do that one more time in a link in the YouTube description below. You can text Chapel Hill to 77977 or you can um, put a check in the mail. We are really um, expectant for how God is going to continue using all of us here at Chapel Hill to bring forth his kingdom. And I'm glad that you are willing to continue supporting those efforts through your faithful and generous giving. Let me pray uh, just for a moment for Pastor Mark as he prepares to bring us the message. Uh, Father, would you indwell Pastor Mark by the power of your Holy Spirit? And could we receive the word today straight from you into our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. There's going to be a short little video here, and I want to invite you to take advantage of this moment to click on those links to give, to fill out your weekly check-in, and to prepare to hear from Pastor Mark. If you're a parent and you have kids in the room, you might want to use this moment to download the Parent Q app. It's Parent C-U-E Q app, and um, prepare to share the word with your kids as well. Hello, Chapel Hill. I'm really glad to be able to welcome you to worship, even under these rather unusual circumstances. A year ago, when we began to lay plans for live streaming of our worship services, we had no idea of how vital that technology would be to us in this moment. Aren't you grateful for the opportunity, even on our time of isolation, to be able to come together around God's Word and around worship as the community of faith? So welcome to worship. In fact, last week as we got started with that, we had over 2,000 views of our worship service online. That's more than show up on a typical weekend here. So that is spectacular. And many of you sent in pictures of your little home churches as they were gathering together in worship, and those were precious and inspiring to us, and I thank you for doing that. So today, whether you are viewing this all by yourself or with your family or maybe with a small group, although I'm sure it's under 10, we welcome you to worship. I'm glad you are here. You know, often when we pray during a worship service here in the sanctuary, we will start our prayer by saying, let us unite our hearts together. Let us pray. Well, in this season when we are scattered 
all over this region, all over our community, more than ever, that invitation seems to be appropriate. And so let us unite our hearts together in prayer. Let us pray. God, thank you for meeting us in this moment. This doesn't surprise you and it doesn't flummox you. There's nothing about this circumstance that you did not see coming and that you cannot use for your good purposes. And so we pray, Holy Father, that you would meet us now as we consider your word, that you would send your Holy Spirit to us, scattered as we are across this region, that you would meet us in a time of power and encouragement, and at the end of this time, with your word and with this worship, we will be emboldened to be the people that you have called us to be. That is what we ask you to do, and we believe that you will do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the summer of 1939 the Nazi war machine was beginning to rumble. By September, Poland would be invaded, and World War II would have begun. Britain was con quite confident that they were going to be drawn into the war, and so, in order to bolster morale, the Ministry of Information printed up 2.5 million copies of a poster. It's the poster that you will see on your screen. And the words on that poster said, Keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. Those five words, they kind of epitomize the, the stiff upper lip stoicism of post-Victorian England. Basically, they said, we don't know what's coming. We don't know how long it'll last. But in the midst of it all, we are determined to keep calm and to carry on. We don't have a ministry of information in the United States Unfortunately, what we have instead are cable news channels and social media and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And if all of those groups were to get together and, and publish a poster that might describe from their perspective what is going on, it might be something like, keep terrified and freeze up. You, you know that right now, it's not hard to sense that the, that the hysteria is being fanned by organizations that profit from your hysteria. And so I want to urge you not to be hysterical in this moment. You see, we have a choice to choose how we're going to respond to this moment in history. We have a, a choice to decide whether we're going to be hysterical, or whether we're going to become frantic, or, or rather, as I would encourage the people of Chapel Hill to do, that we will decide to keep calm and carry on. I think it is the order of the day. And it's not because we're British, although some of us are. It's not because we have stiff upper lips. It's because we stand in a long line of Christian brothers and sisters who down through the centuries have done exactly that in quite similar circumstances, who have dealt with pandemics and managed in the midst of it all to remain calm because of who they knew they were in Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to set what we are doing right now in its context I want to set it in historical perspective and in theological perspective. And I hope that by the end of my message that you will feel empowered and emboldened and encouraged to keep carrying on with the calm and the shalom that can come because we know who Jesus is. Pastor Larry reminded us of this in his excellent blog that he wrote a couple of weeks ago. This is not the first pandemic that this world or that the church has ever seen, not by a long shot. 
In the second century, there was a plague that swept through the Roman Empire that killed one quarter of the population. The next century, there was, the empire was once again ravaged by a plague that was very similar, if you can imagine, to Ebola. Beginning in the 14th century and continuing into the 15th century, over a 200-year period, the bubonic plague swept across Europe and Asia, and oftentimes resulting in a mortality rate between 30 and 60%. Even 100 years ago, the Spanish flu struck and the estimates are of 50 million deaths, half of them in the United States. And just to be a little more contemporary, last year, 31 million Americans caught the flu with the result of more than 30,000 deaths. I want us to put this epidemic in context. Right now, there are about 300,000 cases worldwide. And the estimates are of about 12,000 Deaths, And of course, that number is continuing to climb. And I do not mean in the slightest to diminish the seriousness of this disease. It is nasty and it is courageous, contagious, and we, we need to respond aggressively. One member of our life group has a family member who has tested positive. And I found out today of, a, of another family in our church whose brother, whose uncle, uh, passed away because of this disease. If you have a loved one who's fighting this, or if you are fighting this, then it really doesn't matter to you how widespread it might be, does it? It is still frightening. It is still real. And still, I want us to set this in context. 12,000 deaths worldwide, that's awful. 50 million deaths worldwide, that was worse still. The vast majority who are stricken with this are recovering even now. And I want us to believe this, this too shall pass. This too shall pass, beloved. And here's one more thing. In every one of these pandemics, it was the church of Jesus that rose up in defiant hope, defiant of fear, defiant of the temptation to hoard, defiant of paralyzing self-interest. When the rest of the world was fleeing or hiding, it was the Christians who remained and cared for their own and cared for those who were not their own too. And during the 4th century plague, there was a historian by the name of Eusebius who wrote that the deeds of Christians were on everyone's lips. And a modern historian named Rodney Stark claims that the explosive growth of Christianity in the early centuries was due in part to their compassionate care of the epidemic victims. And he further claims that the death rates in cities where there were Christian communities was in some cases half of that of those who had no Christian witness. In 1527, when the bubonic plague swept through Wittenberg, Germany, Martin Luther remained to care for his sick. In fact, he wrote a tract called Whether Christians Should Flee the Plague, in which he argued that Christian leaders ought to stand their post. Luther, who, as you may know, loved to trash talk the devil, actually had something to write to the devil in this tract. I want to read it to you. Luther wrote, No, devil, you'll not have the last word. If Christ shed his blood for me and died for me, why should I not expose myself to some small dangers for his sake and disregard this feeble plague? If you can terrorize, Christ can strengthen me. If you can kill, Christ can give life. If you have poison in your fangs, 
Christ has far greater medicine. Should not my dear Christ, with his precepts, his kindness, his encouragements, be more important in my spirit than you, roguish devil, with your false terrors in my weak flesh? God forbid. Get away, devil. Here is Christ, and here am I, his servant, in this work. Let Christ prevail. Amen. And maybe all of us right now would say, Amen, together. Before ever there was a British Empire, there was a Christian kingdom on earth that had already learned to keep calm and carry on. And not because they never got sick or died. Luther himself lost his beloved daughter in that plague. Rather, because Christians had an unshakable vision of heaven, an unshakable vision of what was to come after this life that gave them hope and peace and joy and confidence. And the Apostle Paul captured that in his letter to the Philippians. I want to remind you that Paul was writing that letter from a, a, a Roman prison. He was probably chained between two guards, and he was expecting to be executed. Any moment, he expected to hear the executioner's footsteps outside of his cell. And yet, though he faced his own imminent death, Paul was able to write a letter that was full of joy and hope and peace. And I want us to lean into that passage of Scripture this morning from Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 and following. Listen to what Paul writes. He says, yes, and I will rejoice for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You've heard the expression, win-win situation? This is the ultimate win-win situation as far as Paul is concerned. For me, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And what, what does he mean about that? He says, on the one hand, I don't fear death. I don't need to fear death. I look forward someday to being with Jesus in heaven. I believe in a resurrected Christ who has set me free from sin and death. I believe Jesus when he said that he went to prepare a place for me in heaven and he will bring me to that place. If those things are true, Paul says, not only am I not afraid of death, I'm going to mock death as he did in his letter to the Corinthians when he said, death, where is thy victory? No, oh, death, where is thy sting? On the other hand, Paul realized that if he were to stay, there was more great work for him to do, more proclamation of the gospel, more lives that would be changed through the, through the good news of Jesus. And so if the executioner's hand was stayed for a season, he said that would be a good thing too. You see what I mean? To, to live meant for him to continue proclaiming the good news of Christ. To die meant that he would leave this broken world and he would gain a perfect eternity with Jesus. To live is Christ, he says. To die is gain. It is win-win. That is what Paul believed. That is why he could face his imminent death with courageous joy. And that is why Christians down through the ages have run into the places that others were fleeing, cared for those that others were abandoning, because they really believed what they said they believed. This is our moment to ask ourselves, do we really believe 
what we say we believe. And I'm not talking about easy intellectual assent. I'm not talking about religious head nods. I mean, do we really believe that we can trust Jesus with everything we have, including our very lives? Do we really believe Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Do we really believe Jesus when he said, I am the resurrection and the life? He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do we really believe that? Paul once wrote to the Romans, I think a powerful word that speaks to this moment. He said, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. This is what we say we believe. This is what we sing of every Sunday and Saturday when we gather for worship. This is what the creeds declare that we stand and pronounce once in a while. This is what our prayers assume. This is the victory cry that we join together on on Easter Sunday morning when we say he is risen. Christ is risen indeed. In fact, I'm going to ask you to repeat that right now. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Now, I realize it is easier for us to say that, that we believe these things when the world map is not red with a virus, when the stock market is above 27,000, when we're able to gather in large crowds and eat in our favorite restaurants and drink in our favorite pubs. But the question to us in this moment is, do we also believe this when the world map is aflame, when the Dow is below 20,000, and when we are compelled to worship in our living rooms instead of our sanctuary? This is our moment, beloved. This is our moment to rise up in defiance of the gloom and the despair that the world is peddling. It is a moment for us to proclaim the inextinguishable, defiant hope that is ours because we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is why we can keep calm and carry on, not because of courage that we gin up within ourselves, but because of the Holy Spirit who has laid claim to us in life and in death, and nothing can snatch us out of his grasp. Nothing, nothing, nothing. That is defiant hope. So how can we declare that defiance? How can we offer protest against this world of despair? I want to give you a few ideas. Here's my first and best idea. Turn off your TV. Turn off the news channels. Don't watch them. They are peddling paranoia. You'll find out what's going on just fine. Turn them off and leave them off. You might try turning off your phones too. Or rather than that, rather than uh, allowing the temptation for you to scroll through every paranoid website and find every frightening thing that is before you, use those phones instead to call five of your neighbors, to reach out to your elderly shut-in that you know about, to ask them if they need food. Or if you want to really go crazy, fill a basket full of toilet paper rolls and walk through your neighborhood and give them away. That is the ultimate declaration of faith in God these days. Perhaps you'll walk out on your front porch after this service is over 
and take one more new, fresh, long look at the beauty of the creation that surrounds us. Drink in the air that surrounds us. Or find delight in a bowl of well-buttered popcorn and a game. Or practice defiant generosity at a time when people are clutching their money, holding onto their purses in fear. You choose to give some of your money away. Give money to support your church. Give money to support the poor. Give money to support someone in your neighborhood. You claim sometimes that you don't have enough time to read the Bible and pray. Well, you got time now. And in this in time of enforced solitude, I invite you to take a, a significant portion of every day and read God's Word. Dig into it like you've never done before. Pray like you've never done before. We have all kinds of ways to help you in that. Join Pastor Ellis at 6 in the morning for his prayer time. Join Pastor Larry and Megan at 1 o'clock for their journey through the Gospel of Luke. Or in the evening before you go to bed, read my blog. I am trying to write something at the end of every day that will be a word of encouragement and empowerment to you so that the last thought you will have on your mind will be not a thought of fear, but a thought of confidence in Christ as you lay your head down to a restful night's sleep. In 1948, in the shadow of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the British Christian writer C.S. Lewis was asked uh, how people ought to live in light of the atomic bomb. If you replaced atomic bomb with the words coronavirus, his words are as apt today as they were 70 years ago. I want you to listen to them. Lewis writes, in one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, or an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. And quite a high percentage of us are going to die in unpleasant ways. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things. Praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts. Not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that, he wrote but they need not dominate our minds. Keep calm and carry on. Not because this isn't serious. It is. Not because it doesn't require prudence. 
It does. Not because it won't impact us or ones we love. It might. But because there is no bug that exists that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As the Apostle Paul wrote, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor virus, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for these powerful words spoken by people who had reason to fear, reason to flee, but who stood their ground. Who stood their ground because they believed in your call upon their life? Who stood their ground because they believed in the Christ who had defeated death and risen to victory again and who called them to himself? We serve that same Jesus today. You are still the Lord of life. You are still the Lord of the resurrection. And so, Father, I pray that every time we find ourselves wanting to be afraid, wanting to mold the things that make us anxious, wanting to buy into the paranoia of the world, that we will lift our eyes one more time, lift our eyes to the face of the risen Christ who sits upon the throne, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is not caught in any way by surprise by what is going on and the one who will have his way in the end. Lord, we pray that we will be part of that way. We pray that we will be faithful to you. We will be brave. We will be courageous in a culture that wants us to be frantic and panic. We will choose calm. We will choose peace. We will choose shalom. In a culture that urges us to hoard, we will choose to share. In a culture that encourages us to flee, we will rather step into the needs and be the ones who are known for meeting them. Once again, may the deeds of Christians be on everyone's lips, and in so doing, may the name of Jesus be lifted high and glorified. You are God. You are Lord. All things belong to you. All things are in, within your control and your providential care, including us. And so we, your children, Submit ourselves to you once again and pray that by your spirit, by your power, we might keep calm and carry on. For we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're not done with worship. I see some of you standing up in your living room. Sit back down. We're not finished yet. We're going to have another song and uh, another prayer. So you just stay right where you are. Let's finish out worship together in one final song. But please do stand together as we sing. Just don't walk out of your living room. God of creation, there at the start before the beginning. No point of reference. You spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. 
I'm so glad that you worshiped with us today. I hope and pray that you're glad that you were here too. I want to pledge to you, we don't know how long this is going to last, but however long it takes, we're going to be here every week for worship, every day in some form of encouraging you and comforting you and empowering you to live the way that God intends for us to live, even in these difficult circumstances, perhaps especially in these difficult circumstances. This is the chance for the church to rise up. And so we're going to do exactly that. But it, it means that we need to work harder to stay connected. In fact, over the next week, uh, every member of this church, it is our goal, every member of this church, every family is going to receive a call from an elder or a deacon or a pastor because we want you to know that you matter and, that we, uh, and we want to check and see if there's any way that we can serve you. So watch for that phone call and I hope you will welcome it. But it would really help us to do a good job of caring for you if you would take the time to go to the description page on your YouTube page where you watched this, uh, this worship and, and sign in on our weekly uh, check-in uh, form. Uh, tell us you were here. Tell us what is going on. Let us know of any needs that you might have. And it will also be the place that you could give. I hope and pray that even though you're not in this building, you will continue to support the work of your church in kind of a defiant generosity. And then finally, I want to remind you about the virtual uh, life groups that are going to be meeting. If you are a member of those, they will start immediately following this service. And if you're not yet a member of those, you'll be able to sign up for one on your weekly check-in. Again, thank you for worshiping with us. And I want to close this service as we do every service that we have. So I invite you in your living rooms to raise your hands and receive the blessing of the Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his perfect peace. 
now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people said, Amen, and God bless.